welcome to Everything's Relative. This here is a podcast about DNA discoveries and all the ways that our lives can be totally changed uh, with just a little bit of information. And uh, believe me, things can be wildly changed and it all happens so fast. Uh, Someone spits in a tube, then there's an email or a text, and then boom, your whole life is different. Or maybe a letter comes in the mail or a message comes over social media. Either way, boom, your life is different. I'm Eve Sturgis, and here we are, boom, in the middle of summer. Uh, Hey, so remember when I said I was recording things way ahead of time last spring, like for my my podcast network, Campfire, and it was sort of like doing radio time travel, trying to talk about what would be posted so many weeks later and trying to get organized around that concept? That does not apply today, not at all, Uh, through a series of events that are probably not interesting to my listeners. uh, We found ourselves this week without an episode ready to go. Uh, It was a major calamity here in the studio. Um, A whole lot of things fell together, or I should say a whole lot of things fell apart uh, to present this challenge. And then Abby came to the rescue. She responded to a post I put up on social media and said not only would she tell her story, but she would tell it today, the same day that I needed it. And she figured out the time difference all on her own between Pacific and Central Time and said that we could do this interview when I could do it. It was really great. It was a DNA miracle, y'all. I couldn't be more grateful for the way this community works together to keep the wheels turning, the gears shifting, the machine moving. And everyone, I went in blind, not knowing what to expect, and Abby did not disappoint. But I would like to back up and say that I would never, ever categorize someone's story, especially their NPE story, as disappointing. (laughs) Um, But... Abby's story is another one that is unique but represents so many people's experience here in the NPE community. Um, And you'll see what I mean, kind of going with a theme right now that we're doing. And um, I didn't even ask for someone to come and talk about hard things. Abby did that all on her own. I'm so grateful. Before we roll the tape with Abby and I, I just want to make sure everybody knows this is going to be another adult, grown-up, hard stuff conversation. Uh, And if you're feeling sensitive to um, topics like rape, then um, this is maybe not the episode for you. Go on and take care of yourself. I will go ahead and play it now. This is the podcast Everything's Relative. I'm Eve Sturgis. I couldn't believe it. It's it's only happened once or twice where I've kind of like had a panic shout out to to uh, help me with an episode, and every time someone can do it. But I'm still thrilled. I had just left work, and um, I actually was scrolling through Instagram <laughs> stoplight, <laughs> and um, I. I was, uh, we have a little lake house and my dogs are here and it's storming and, and I was trying to rush down here to get here. I'm not, the storm has quit right now, but I'm in bed because that's where they'll behave themselves the most. Oh, yeah. So, Curled up be- behind you, <laughs> with you, cuddled. Yeah. Um, 
that's fine. We have lots of dogs on this podcast. We mm-hmm. and and children and sirens and <laughs> and if yeah. the thunder wants to be a part of the story, the thunder can be a part of it too. If your storm comes back, yeah. so thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank um, you. How long? So I'll ask you just a couple like. Just some, I mean, this is the most blind I've ever gone into a story. So I can hang with you. It'll be okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh where are you? Where are you located? I'm in Texas, mm-hmm. East Texas. Okay, mm-hmm. I've heard of that state. Uh-huh. East Texas. <laughs> I'm writing things down, but it's just a habit. <laughs> it's just a habit from being a therapist. Um, and how long? See, this is where we're already gonna probably get into the story. How long have you known? See, the problem is where to start the story. Uh, I have a complicated story and you were like, okay, we want to keep it to about an hour. I'm like, I hope we can. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, well, keep, you keep so talking or, and I'll interrupt and ask questions. Okay. Um, hmm, where to start? I think the very beginning would be, uh, I was 13 years old when I found out that who I believed my father to be my father was not my father. And um, of course, like most of us, I call him dad. Uh, He is now deceased, but um, my parents divorced and uh, complicated, complicated story. Interesting story, but so complicated. And um, my father remarried and my stepmother, mother hated it that I didn't know the truth and literally Mm. came into my bedroom 13, you know tumultuous age and uh stood with her hands on her hips and said tell her tell her right now tell her and um he was tearful and not an emotional man and not an expressive person and uh you know just kind of told me very bluntly I'm not your dad I don't know who your dad is you're going to go see your mother this weekend and you should ask her all those questions and my stepmother said what do you think about that and and I was shell-shocked you know (laughs) And, um, I still don't know what I think about that to tell you the truth. Well, mm-hmm. and, uh, they turned around and walked out of the room and that was pretty much the end of that. Wow. I so he, so he mom, knew, so he knew that was one thing was that he knew he adopted me. Mm. I'll get to that in a minute. And, okay. um, so I went to my mother's that weekend and, um, I didn't ask any questions. It's kind of a strange thing. I don't know how you feel about your story, Eve, but I, you know, I was a child and, um, and, and a very unstable adult world I was living in very unstable. And I was terrified to ask questions. I, I didn't ask any questions, um, until I was about 21 years old. So my mother brought me back to my dad's that weekend. Um, I was living with them with my, my father and my stepmother and said, she didn't ask any questions. Just leave it be. And you shouldn't have told her she was against telling me apparently. So that was that. Mm. Except for my stepmother needling me for information. Every time I was around my mother, did you find out anything? Did you ask questions? Why aren't you asking questions? She wanted to know, you know, all the dirty details. And I just didn't ask. I I couldn't ask. I I didn't know how to ask. I don't think most 13 year olds would know how to ask. I don't know any, I mean, the, the, the sort of like the gravity and breadth of that situ of that knowledge is so huge. I don't even know. 
I mean, that makes it make it feels yeah. totally like appropriate for you to just be overwhelmed by it and not ask and just right. right. And if they weren't, you know, especially if your dad, you know, they weren't, it wasn't just like an open conversation mm -hmm. in the first place. Like, I just don't, where do you start when you know it's a big deal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's too it's bad. And, and I was left um, to be the person to try to figure out the answers for the adults was how mm -hmm. it seemed to be, uh, kind of a theme in my life. But so what happened was, um, and I, I kind of don't want to tell the end of the story before the beginning of the story, but it, it's hard not to. But eventually, who I call my dad, he adopted me. Uh, just last year, I found out I was nearly six years old when that happened. Um, but he adopted me and they, they never intended to tell me, but then their marriage failed and each of them remarried. And so they came out. So many promises made mm -hmm. yeah, uh, that, so, that fall apart when the marriage falls apart. Right. So I, um, you know, I find out he's not my father, but I don't know who my father is. And um, along the way, we have a family friend who I happen to look just like, uh -huh. and, and he's, uh, he's not an uncle, but we called him uncle and, uh, he was just a, a family favorite and every kid just thought they were his very favorite, but I was especially his favorite. It seemed that way to me. It really did. And he spent a lot of time with me. He lived out of state, but whenever he was in town, he came to visit. And the minute he came to town, he would pick me up and take me out for ice cream. Just every, I mean, maybe we didn't see him for two years or maybe it was just a couple of months, but I um, mean, he really did make me feel special. And I looked a lot like him and, um, mm. His wife had a lot of problems with him spending time with me. I witnessed a couple arguments about that. I didn't understand them. It was very small. And um, so I just always kind of wondered if it was him that my stepmother instigated that. What's strange is that my dad adopted me when he married my mother. They had two of their children and, and my sisters. And um, my dad never knew for sure who my birth father was. And, you know, my mom obviously knew, mm -hmm. but I don't know the whole story there, but she never revealed it to him. So I, I, th I think that's kind of odd. So it's odd considering that everyone that you, I don't know. I mean, we don't know if, if I don't know if that man, if uncle ends up being the man, but it's interesting if there's something going, if there's, yeah. Yeah, it's just there seems like if a child can kind of put some things together, right. it's interesting that the adults weren't talking about it, perhaps. Yes. And, you know, talking about a child putting things together, there were hints and clues that because um, people always say, well, when did you know? I really didn't know and was blindsided at that time when I was 13. But I also had hints and clues. I had a baby blanket handmade by somebody who knows who and hand stitched with my name. And it had my mother's maiden name as my last name. And I can remember asking until, until I was 13, why does it say this other name? It's not my name. Oh, that's the old fashioned way to do it. it <laughs> uh, wink, wink. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Th things like that. It's, mm -hmm. It really didn't make sense. So um, fast forward and um, I'm 21 years old and finally got up the courage 
to um, to confront my mother. And by the way, my mother my mother was 13 when she became pregnant with me, turned 14 by the time I was born. She was very young. I, I, I didn't understand as a child either that my mother was unnaturally young. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't have a concept of that. I can remember some things with my friends' parents questioning me, how old is your mom anyway? And mm-hmm. saying, my mom is 20, my mom is 22. And them just being floored. But I, I just didn't get it because I was a kid. Right. How could you? How yeah, could she's I, your mom. I, yeah. At the time, I thought she was old, you know, and she was, you know, 14 years older than me. Anyway, um, when I was 21, I confronted my mother. <clears throat> so twisted and complicated. When I was 13, my parents are divorced and I was living with my mother, with my sisters, and then very suddenly she took us to our dads and left us. Uh, he wasn't even at home actually. And, and left us there basically in the middle of the night. And wow. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a very complicated story, but here come the layers. I'm getting it. <laughs> I, I listen to a lot of these podcasts. I'm like a lot of us sort of obsessed with them and I, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but mine has more layers than most even mm-hmm. it really does in a lot of ways. But anyway, um, so I'm living with my dad and my stepmother and I find out this is not my father. And I, you know, the relationship with my mother is very sketchy. She moves out of state. We lose track of her for a couple of years. It was just a lot. Um, fast forward, I'm, I'm 21 years of age and I'm now ready to ask her. And um, we had a family event and I got her alone on the very last morning almost the last hour that I was with her that weekend. And I hadn't seen her for a couple of years and I could barely choke out the words. I was crying so hard. And I said, you know, I have a right to know who my father is. Tell me who it is. And she still won't have that conversation with me. Um, I'm in my fifties now and it, it's, mm. she still just won't come up. She won't be upfront with about it. So, so I she didn't tell you then. And she won't tell you now. Yeah. I haven't asked for years. So I drew a line in the sand eventually, and um, the relationship is very much at a standstill, and I don't know that it'll ever be better, but from there, I decided, well, I'm going to find out what I can. I'm from a small town. I have both my father and my mother's sides are huge, huge families, and uh, I start asking aunts questions and uncles and, um, you know, just start being little detective. I had a friend who worked for an attorney and she tried to research records in the courthouse. She didn't find much. I found a couple of small but extremely important pieces of paperwork in my grandmother's papers. That was an interesting story in its own, but too much detail. But anyway, I ran across a couple of papers. One was a letter written from a judge to my grandmother and um, about a court issue and asking them to drop it. Um, in today's world, oh, that judge would have been disbarred in a hot minute. I mean, it is, it is some interesting documentation. So um, it had a little bit of an inkling. Um, a little bit of backstory, my grandparents have seven children and uh, in the 60s, a pipeline was being built through our state. I, I grew up in Ohio. It was built from the south up through the north. And um, 
workers went along the pipeline and build it as they went. And um, a lot of small towns, no hotels, motels, no place to stay. And families would open their homes for some extra money and run basically like a little bed and breakfast. And my grandparents did that. They had six girls and one boy and they took in young men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, um, the person who was the family uncle, so to speak, I don't know if I should say his name. Uh, he was a pipeliner and he lived with my family, became very close with my family to this day. Um, and uh, I decided, I, I knew the person who was believed to be my birth father was a pipeliner. And I knew that much. So I wrote this man a letter and said, you worked with whoever my father is, do you know any information about him? I was given a name, mm. but then the first, it was just initials, initials TJ was what this man went by. And then a last name that much I got from my mother. She said she didn't know his real name and all this business. So I, I wrote to the family friend and he said, I'm, I'll just come and see you. I, I want to talk to you about this in person. He wrote a letter back. This was old school. I don't know, late eighties. And um, about a week later, he showed up on my doorstep of my apartment. And again, with a grown man with tears in his eyes, sat in my living room of my tiny little college apartment and said, I've always thought I was your father. Your mother thought I was your father. I was told to never speak of it again. Don't tell anybody. And I haven't. But you look like me. I think you're mine. The timing is right. And we should go have a blood test and find out. And it's what I wanted to happen. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, man, I was just, I just can't believe it. This is, it was a good thing because I loved him. I still mm -hmm. love him and um, had a relationship with him already. And um, he, he was in the Korean war and was sent off and uh, he was there when I was born. And it, that seemed like that was the story. Meanwhile, my mother moved on with her life kind of a thing but that's not the end of the story. <laughs> we never had a test. Um, I don't know if DNA was even available back then. I really don't know, but some sort of a blood test or something. Mm -hmm. We never did that because my, oh, shame to say this, but my boyfriend at the time, you know, he said something really awful. I have a hard time even thinking about it because it, it upsets me still. But he said, when you were born, it ruined so many people's lives. Mm. If you go have that test done now, it will ruin more people's lives. Let it go. And that comment, one simple comment, very flippant, tripped me up for decades. And so I, I did, and I, I never had the test. And uh, time went on, and I, you know, eventually married and had a child, and everybody talked about how my baby looked just like him. And I look like the, the older I got, I looked more and more like him. Um, his father died. I went to his father's funeral and again in another state and never met the man when he was alive, but felt like when I heard he died, I need to go there. And I met all these people who I looked a lot alike and that whole feeling. And this was, and, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, just for clarification, <laughs> this, the funeral that you went to, that was for the, the man with the initials that you had? No, and no. I'm sorry. It's so confusing. It's okay. The family friend who we think of as an uncle, yes. his father passed away. His father. Okay. I thought, okay, got it. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, this is potentially my 
biological grandfather. Right, 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 right. I went to the funeral. I went by myself and um, met his family and, um, you know, was just stunned how much I look like them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was just a, you know, interesting time. So, and, and in that stage, I was in my 30s. I was early 30s when that happened. So I, over time, just decided I probably would never know. I, I have fantasized about figuring out a way to find out without him knowing. I, I finally just got to the point where I didn't really want to know because I didn't want more complicated relationships and tragedies and problems. Mm-hmm. So I didn't pursue it. But I could not quit thinking about it. It has been a theme (laughs) in my life since I was 13, just wondering and trying to figure out and thinking about it. It it, has never left, but I didn't know how to pursue it without getting myself wrapped up in more complicated, problematic relationships. But I just didn't. Then fast forward (laughs) to, um, gosh, let me think that would have been Christmas of 2018, so almost 2019. Um, actually, it was Thanksgiving. My daughter was home, and um, her husband and the television was on, and a commercial for Ancestry DNA came on. I know that I had seen that commercial. It, I don't know why it never clicked <laughs> and never sunk in because it wasn't new. It was not new. At the end of 2018, it was not new. But something happened that particular day. We were all focused on the television. And I turned to my daughter, who knows the whole story, and said, I should buy one of those DNA kits. And she threw her hands up and her husband started laughing. And she's like, I cannot surprise you. They had bought one already for me for my Christmas present. And I didn't know. And it was just really funny that I took note of it, right, with that particular commercial. And so the kid came for Christmas and um, I got a little nervous and didn't take the test and turn it in for a few weeks. And finally one morning I just did it and sent it off. And the idea was the person who I believe to be my birth father, the family friend, the uncle, he has um, a lot of, he's like 60% American Indian. And the idea was it would show me his ethnicity. I'm going to just decline that call. I'm going to put my phone on airplane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then you're going to. Okay. So he is 60% Native American. Right. And I, first of all, if I ever thought about DNA, I thought if you and I thought we were siblings or something that we would both have to take the test together in order to determine a relationship. I didn't know how it worked and most people don't. Sure. Yeah. So I didn't know or I would have done this years ago, but my idea and my daughter's idea was the test would come back. It would show that I was a percentage of Cherokee Indian and that would confirm he was my birth father and that's all I was looking for and I could keep it quietly to myself if I chose to and not go to him and say well I confirmed it guess what you know I and and I had maybe a half of a percent 
suspicion that it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. I, I was just, I just knew it was him, especially after my daughter was born. And she also looks so much like him and his family. <laughs> so anyway, the, the test comes back in early February. I now know that that was the biggest mad gold rush of DNA testing in history was in 2018. And of course I got my results in February of 2019. My husband goes to the coffee shop in the morning and I remember him kissing me goodbye and saying, see you in a little while at work, we work together. And, um, you know, you keep getting those emails, be prepared from ancestry. Mm-hmm. Be prepared. You never know what's going to happen. I'm like, oh, I'm prepared. I, I'm going to figure it out finally, maybe once and for all, but I know it's a, I already know that my father's not my father. That wasn't going to be a surprise. So, um, I opened the DNA kit, you know, you don't, or the information, you just don't know how to read it and what to expect. And I looked at the ethnicity first and there is nothing Native American, Uh, English, Scottish, Irish, tiny bit of German, Hmm. nothing. I was like, okay, wonder what that means. (laughs) Right. And so then you kind of go through where settlers are And my grandmother is from Maine and I see all that. I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then kind of moving down the East coast and then a heavy percentage in Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky. And this is where the person with the initials who my mother told me the name, that's, they knew, I knew he was Southern. No one could remember exactly where he was from, Arkansas, Tennessee, maybe it was Kentucky. He had a Southern draw. I don't, I don't know where he was from. And my heart starts racing. Okay, so then it says matches and I open up the matches and the, the first match is a person I don't know and it's a high match. Um, the second match is my maternal aunt who I grew up with, I know her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, the first match was a higher match than her, but a similar number. It ends up that person was my paternal aunt. And then several people that I don't know, about 10 or 12 names down the list. First of all, all of those names, the first several were all female names. So the last name, you know, marriage and all that, you, you can't go by that. 10 or 12 names down was my first male match. And it was that last name my mother had told me. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Just the air just sucks out of the room. And I, my husband used to be a hard-nosed news reporter. Um, murders and rapes and molestations and very hard news. He's watched mm-hmm. five executions before covering those for the news. And I called him first and I said, you would not believe this. But the name that matches is not the uncle's name. It's this other guy. And he, he is hard to shock. And he was bored. I mean, we were just all convinced of who it was. So it, it started out just a whirlwind of investigating and, um, you know, looking into it. And I, I spent um, the next six months. And when I say... I own a business and I would get off work and come home. I don't remember cooking, laundry, (laughs) doing anything except for just absorbing myself in ancestry 
in Facebook. I started a, a different social media accounts that I didn't have before then to just figure out people and find information from them. The biggest bit of information came uh, the second night, uh, the second day that I knew after work, I Googled the person who was my highest match and an obituary came up. Turns out that obituary was for my paternal grandmother. Mm -hmm. it, it was a wealth of information. Um, right. I know that's controversial these days that people are like, don't put things in your obituary because those crazy people on Ancestry will get you. It was a wealth of information. Well, is that a new <laughs> thing? I didn't know that. <laughs> no, really. People will your get family you. will find you. All right. So I didn't know what TJ stood for. So because I didn't know what those initials TJ stood for, I could never search before. I had taken a stab at it because I always knew there was a potential that he was my father, but I didn't believe that he was. But, you know, with just initials, you can't go anywhere. And in that obituary, I found my, the name of my match was, was my grandmother's youngest daughter. She had eight children. Every child of hers was listed and their spouse and their children, full name. Um, and then great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren were just listed by number. And on the last line of the obituary, and it said, and one deceased son, TJ. Oh. So, well, I found out what his name was because he was named, he was a junior and he was named for his father. Mm -hmm. And so the patern paternal grandfather was also listed. He was deceased as well. And he went by his actual name, which are the letters T and J and um, his son, my birth father, which just went by TJ. So. In, in one article, one obituary, I found out my father's name and that he was deceased and all of those first line relatives, all of them in one document. And wow. so then I had all of those people, eight children make a lot of cousins. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of cousins. So um, my birth father, had uh three daughters three daughters and um so i had three half sisters and uh, they're all in kentucky they all live close by in the same area where they grew up and everything so i spent the next six months gleaning as much information as i could and preparing myself and just doing a lot of hard work and it was hard work it was yeah it's exhausting it's, still, it's exhausting that's it mm -hmm. It is exhausting. And, um, you know, I, I found that there's a lot of information that's available to us these days that you just don't know is available. Um, I wrote to Vital Statistics to get, I couldn't find a reason why my birth father died. There was no obituary. I couldn't find anything. And um, I wrote to Vital Statistics and, uh, well, you know, it's a computer form you fill out and it said, you know, you must be directly related to request, but it's just a computer form and you check a box and I checked daughter, which right. felt so wrong to do, but I am. Right. <laughs> so and because he has a strange name, uh, what TJ stands for is just a, a name you have never heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, they accidentally sent me my grandfather's a bit or my grandfather's death certificate so i accidentally got that 
And I wrote yeah. again, I was like, hey, you sent me the wrong one. They're like, hey, we'll put it in the mail today. And um, with that rose a lot of questions. I have a high school friend who is a physician and a coroner in my hometown. And I, I called him, I was like, hey, ah, this death certificate doesn't make sense. Help, help me with this. And he said, you know, you can, you have a right to look at the sheriff's report and the coroner's information and stuff, just write and get it. And I did. Wow. Yeah. And you, and you at this time had not contacted the family yet. No. Because you were just trying to get as much information as you could. Got as much information as I could. Um, you know, a lot of people, everybody's individual and everybody has their own struggle in making decisions and what, what to do with information and what not to do. I feel pretty firmly had he been alive, I would have never gone to meet him. But I really wanted to meet the rest of the family. And um, I, I got as much information as I could to be sure that was going to be the right decision for myself mm -hmm. um, for mm -hmm. the people that I even wanted to meet. There's more of the story I haven't got to yet why I felt that way. But anyway, um, I had so much information. I knew what coins were in his pocket when he died. Wow. I know what color socks he had on. I mean, I know a lot of information. It, wow. it was, uh, and it, it was hard information to get to. It, it was... Uh, much harder than a lot of people can imagine. And people say, why did you want that information? And I can't answer that except for just a deep curiosity, just a, a very deep, deep curiosity that could not be satisfied until I knew. So um, it was actually exactly two years ago, tomorrow. Um, yes. Um, in July, I and my husband and I drove to Kentucky. This was risky. I, I want to be sure that I say this. I nearly got kicked out of a couple of genealogy groups. <laughs> <laughs> Those people oh, can dear. be so fantastic and so helpful, but they can be wicked when they are against what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But they were trying to be protective. Um, I, I did make a post. I said, hey, thoughts and prayers for me. I'm leaving tomorrow. Here's what we're going to do. And, and I don't advise this. Uh -huh. um, I, I genuinely don't. Do not try this at home. Do not try, try this at home. home. Don't try it in another state. <laughs> but we drove 11 hours and we knocked on the door of my, um, my, my highest match. In, in our mind, this was with a lot of thought. In our mind, that person was open because they took a DNA test. They left their account open. Um, here, here I am and here, you know, and the information was there for them to see. I had messaged this woman, but she never saw it. You know how ancestry is with the yeah. messages. And she was not managing her own account. Her husband was, and he, he just never saw the message. But my husband knocked on the door, printed information about who I was, you know, off of ancestry and said, I believe my wife is the daughter of your deceased brother. She's in the car. I love dachshunds. I have a, have a couple wiener dogs. And I, <laughs> I took one of my wiener dogs with me as my, I called him my support wiener. Your emotional, <laughs> your emotional support, support wiener. wiener. There you go. 
I was in the I was in the car with a dog and my husband. Remember, he used to be a very hard nosed investigative reporter. He knew what he was doing, it was, but mm-hmm. it's risky. Sure. And um, we were actually welcome with open arms. Um, the uncle who would be my birth father's brother-in-law mm-hmm. he would be my uncle by marriage he was the person my husband first talked to and he said well you know I only met him a few times but I've heard all the stories he was he was a character kind of a scoundrel and that sounds just like him so uh let me go talk to my wife she had actually been injured and had had emergency surgery the day before from a, a fall and an injury so she was on medication she me was busted up yeah (laughs) and he came out and uh he said she wants to meet you come back right now and so seconds after my husband knocks on the door and says this minutes after um we're in her bedroom sitting on her bed and she's pulling out photograph albums and showing me pictures of my birth father wow it was insane and she was so happy to see me. And, and she's only a few years older than me because she's the baby of a large family. And I, you know, was, would have been an older grandchild. Mm-hmm. And um, so we visited 15 or 20 minutes. And the uncle said, you know, the rest of the family is actually getting together right now. One of the aunts has a, a pool house. And... Um, Another one of the aunts is ill. She has Parkinson's and since then she has died. Um, I only had one opportunity to meet her. And uh, they're all meeting. She's in town and they're having a a gathering. Can I go call them and tell them what's going on? They're like, yeah, go call them. So he stepped outside of his home. He made a phone call. A couple minutes later, he came in and he said, they know all about you. They knew that you existed. And they want you to come out right away. Can, can we just head on out there? And, and I was absolutely in a cloud. I was just in a daze. And uh, yeah, absolutely. So we picked up the injured aunt and her pain medication. <laughs> and we drive several miles out in the country. And an hour after my husband knocked on the door, I was in the midst of 32 blood relatives. Wow. 32. 32. So the thing is, is that they all knew that I existed. Um, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. So birth father was a couple of days away from turning 27 years old when I was conceived. Do you remember how old my mother was? Mm -hmm. I sure do. She was 13. 13. So I will probably never know the whole story there Mm -hmm. um, because my mother is just not willing to talk to me about Mm -hmm. it. And there have been a lot of different things said. And, and, you know, like I said, I did a lot of asking questions and investigating and reporting. You know, I, I don't know that I'll ever know the truth of exactly what happened or how it happened. And in the end, it doesn't matter. I'm here and that's right. It is what it is, but no matter how you slice it and dice it, it was absolutely statutory. Right. Right. Um, my birth father was charged with rape 
he was arrested on the job. Um, when my mother told her parents she was a few months pregnant, it would have been conceived in September. And it's my understanding she told my grandparents on Christmas Eve. I was gonna say right in time for the holidays. Yeah. And um, I know that my birth father from the documents I've got was arrested in uh, I think January 2nd, early, early in the year or in January. And um, he contacted his family uh, in Kentucky and um, his parents gathered up the money to bail him out of jail, which was a sizable amount in those days, in the 60s, it was about $5,000 and it was very difficult to come by, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, they had a large, a large family and, you know, they were just common people from what I understand. And so they knew about the accusations, but they still gathered the money, drove to another state, bailed their son out of jail and on it goes. So a trial was eventually scheduled and rescheduled and delayed and delayed and delayed. I was two and a half years old when it was ready to go to trial. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. um, that is a wild concept. Yeah. And uh, what happened, I, I've spoken to my birth father's former wife. I know it's hard to follow without saying nope. names. I know. Who, you know, it's okay. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. She, she's the mother of my half sisters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Imagine her position as a young woman with um, three little girls and your husband's in another state accused of raping a 13 year old who's pregnant. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I've spoken to her at length about her side of the story. It almost identically matches up with the memory of my most trusted aunt on my mother's side. Uh, so I, I believe I'm pretty close to the truth and how it went down, but um, I don't know that it was an actual, I want to say this carefully and sensitively to those who've dealt with this before. Um, I'm the product of the rape, but I'm not. I'm not a victim of it myself. So I, I want to be sensitive to that. So um, whether my mother was a willing participant or an unwilling participant, um, it, it was it was wrong. She was a child. He was a grown man, a married man. And um, anyway, his parents drove and bailed, bailed him out. And um, a couple years later, the thing has been delayed and delayed and delayed. And remember, I found that document that my grandmother had. I've been waiting. I was like, oh, I know where that's coming. <laughs> that letter's got to come into this play here. It was just delayed so many times. And a judge seen it back then, it, those were shameful things. We don't talk about it. We're going to blame it on the woman. And um, we, we don't want to deal with this. We don't want it in our small town, in our small county. It needs to go away. And the judge said, the man has an alibi. He was with his wife and some friends <gasps> and we should just drop the matter. Well, you know, wow. <laughs> so as an alibi, my, my okay. grandmother and grandfather, but especially my grandmother were persistent and didn't drop it. But fast forward to from what, and I can't confirm this again, my mother, you know, won't talk to me, but, um, 
the day before it was to go to trial, my birth father and his young wife showed up at my grandparents' home. And a big, you know, argument started and get out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I threatened to kill you for my grandfather. I mean, you can imagine. I can only and, imagine what a yeah. 13-year-old. <laughs> um, oh. I'm also told, just to understand, I'm, you know, about two and a half years old. Um, the man who later adopted me was there. He and my mother were already dating. He, he was there and he was present for this scene and anyway my birth father tj said if i go to jail if we go to trial i'm going to go to jail and if i go to jail who's going to take care of these girls and my little girls in another state they won't they won't have a father i won't be able to supply anything for anybody it won't serve anybody and there was a lot of arguing. My grandfather, imagine, was extremely angry and confrontational. And my parents, my birth parents, my mother and my birth father decided to go to the other room and have a discussion. And when they came back, you understand, the man's wife was there too. Um, when I came back into the room, they had decided that my birth father would pay for her to go to school. And... Um, I, well, I guess it doesn't matter to say that she wanted to go to school to be a hairdresser and he would pay for her to go to beauty college. That way she would have a way to support herself and me. And then in exchange for that, she would go to the judge on the next day in court and refuse to testify and it would be thrown out, which was what the court wanted to happen anyway. So that was agreed upon. It was just as fraudulent as it could possibly be. Wow. Bad. Yeah. Um, but that's what happened. Um, it, it, from what I'm told, again, I don't have it directly from my mother, but from everybody else who was involved, that's, that's what I've understood. My mother went before the judge flanked by her parents and said, I, I'm not going to testify. The judge said, great, we're throwing it out. And it was a done deal. My birth father got in the car, left the state and was never seen again by my family. He never paid a dime for my support or care. He oh, did damn not- it. I was really excited for the beauty school part of this no. story. No, he did, not, he did not pay for education of my mother. Um, high and dry, just just walt- waltzed out of town, just as big as he came in. And that was the end of him. And that was the last any of my maternal family ever saw of him. I later found out um, Fast forward when I'm writing for records and they were easily given to me. So people who are listening to this podcast, if you are, I was afraid to ask questions of officials, you know, who hold records. Um, They're just going to say, no, they're not, you know, you hear all these things about, we don't have any rights. I am an adoptee. I am an MPE. I'm so, I check so many boxes and really what I asked for was given to me. It won't in every state, but it will more often than you might think. So at least ask. And it doesn't usually cost a lot of money or take a lot of time. Um, I called the courthouse in my hometown and I said, you know, I I had a file number from my grandmother, uh, the letter that she kept from the judge. And I called and spoke to this woman and she's like, that's not even a valid number. I said, oh, it's from 1960s. It's a valid number. I've got the paper right here. And she started searching. She goes, oh, that's going to take some digging because those records are 
stored, but you're, you're right, it's in the computer. And she goes, but are you sure you want to read this? Because she could see what it was about, about mm-hmm. statutory rape and so forth. And I said, yeah, I, I, I know what it's about. It's, it's okay, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I want a copy of all of it. And when she came back with it, she called me later that day when she found the records and she said, I have one other record. I'm going to send it to you as well. My birth father that day in court was, you know, it was all thrown out of court, but he had to pay the court cost and his attorney fees. He didn't even pay that. Remember, his parents had put the $5,000 down to get him out of jail. And a few months after this happened, his own attorney sued him, was granted, however you say that, it, it went his way. And they took the attorney fees and the court cost out of the $5,000 and then sent the remainder back to his parents. He, he didn't even take care of his own attorney or the court fees. He, he was just that. So. Wow. So just a class act. Oh, not a class act. <laughs> yeah. There's one more really interesting thing I want to go into before you ask any other questions. Um, back to getting the results from the very beginning, I had a person who was a four or five names down my list, a very close match. She was listed as a first cousin. You know, the, the listing of ancestry is just subjective and people mm-hmm. get hung up on that. But she's a young woman about my daughter's age, um, within a year of my daughter. And I was like, who is this person? I, I can't say that a family resemblance, but the same coloring. Oh, and I knew that because, well, she posted a picture on her ancestry, but she was easy to find on Facebook. She has an open Facebook. And so I stalked all that. And I immediately started asking her some questions. I was like, hey, I don't know how we're related. She's also from Ohio. And she goes, I don't know either. I just know my mother's side. My dad was adopted. Sorry, I can't help. But if you ever figure it out, let me know. And so I let it go because I had all these other people to research. But I kept circling back to her because she's a very close match. Mm-hmm. Um, one day I, I just, I had a Saturday off work and I just kept looking through the ancestry. I was about six or seven weeks into it and I kept coming back to her and I messaged her again on Facebook. And I said, so you said your dad was adopted. You really, do you know where he was adopted from or where did he grow up? And she said, yeah. And she said, where he grew up about 30 minutes from where I grew up. Huh? How old is he? She goes, well, funny, you should ask today is his birthday. Um, he's 53. I'm like, you're kidding me. He's my age. That's strange. And, you know, I just started asking some questions and I started putting two and two together. I'm so grateful that I didn't say anything to her right then because it would have been a big mistake. But by then I had joined some genealogy groups and was getting information about how the, the, the numbers work together and what the ranges mean. So I, I start, I asked her, how do I contact your dad? Will you give me a, oh yeah, here, here's how you contact. (laughs) I've really had like this yellow brick road. Yeah, I love, just doors just opened for you, but it just goes to show that it never hurts to ask. Yeah, so I was 52 years old when I got the information. And then in a matter of weeks, I had all of, all of it, so much more than I ever thought I would have. So I go to the genealogy groups on Facebook and I was like, okay, here's the numbers. What do you think? What do you think? They're like, she's your half niece. 
she's your half niece or she's your great aunt. I'm like, she's not my great aunt because she's only 30 years old. But anyway, um, and I said, that means her brother. Yep, you're her, right. Her, her dad is. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, her, it's just her, her, her dad, dad is brother. And well, she asked me to call her stepmother. She said, he won't talk to you directly. Call, call his wife. She'll talk to you and figure it out. And I didn't tell her what I was thinking and she's never come back and asked me and which is a good thing because that that part was kind of complicated there on his side long story short he is my half brother he was like an extra bonus person um my birth father had three children already he was married my half brother's mother got pregnant with my birth father and he got my mother pregnant my brother is a little over two months older than me. Wow. Our mothers are from the same town. Pipeliners. Pipeliners. <laughs> um, it is crazy. Mm-hmm. Later that day, I, I spoke to, I texted with his wife a few times and finally she said, okay, he's ready to call you or will you, will you call him? And I, called him and it was oh gosh I had such a hard time holding it together I just couldn't control my emotion but he thought I was some kind of a scam artist and you know it was coming out of no I mean he knew he was adopted but he just didn't expect a phone call like that and I should have given a little bit more time in hindsight you know but um it it was it was just so shocking to figure it out that day yeah and um but we have we have a great relationship and we have become very close we talk a lot we text a lot i went to visit him twice um and because it's he was fully adopted i say i was half adopted i was raised by my birth mother adopted by my birth father um i'm kind of like all of the stuff and he was fully adopted had a very very wonderful adopted family and um both his adopted parents are deceased. He did find his birth mother, but she has no interest in seeing him. And um, that was several years ago before I found him. And once that happened with his birth mother, he didn't seek out his birth father and he still doesn't really want to know anything. He, mm-hmm. he really only knows the last name, mm-hmm. but he took mm-hmm. a DNA test to be sure that we were correct in our assumptions. And we were a cool thing with that. He is just shy of the numbers being a full sibling we are such close matches as half siblings Mm -hmm. which is really a neat thing because it it's hard to explain but it was just so confirmational for us to have found each other and our numbers are like there is not a question it's right it it is what it is and it's kind of a, a cool thing well and i know this this mathematically doesn't totally work out but it almost is like your twins because you, in a lot, in like sort of historically and emotionally to come it from is. the same way and the same story from the same man at the same yeah. time. Yes. Um, yeah. It really, really is. Like it, different wombs, but yep. otherwise mm-hmm. very similar. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a strange twist to it. Um, back to when I went to Kentucky and I met the 32 relatives mm-hmm. of the gathering, um, my birth sisters are not really very connected and friendly with that side of their family. They were raised by their mother and um, 
our birth father died when he was only 38. He died a pretty horrible way. And um, they were all young women. Uh, my youngest sister was still in high school mm. when he died. I think she was a senior in high school. And uh, the next day after that pool party, the family arranged for the sisters to come and meet me more or less alone uh, with one aunt and uncle who the uncle was ill, not too ill to um, come to the little family gathering. <clears throat> he also has died since that day. Um, after I met the, the large group, three of them have passed away wow. since, since then. So it was like the last opportunity that that whole family was all together. And I was able to meet most of them that day. Um, one sister, the oldest sister refused to show up. Um, it's, it's her right. And I, mm -hmm. I respect it. Um, uh, but the other two did come and, uh, we, we very quickly built a pretty strong relationship and, um, especially the youngest sister and I, the middle sister, uh, again, it, me appearing has brought up some bad family memories for them. Sure. But, very hard to deal with and uh, very, very hard for them to accept the statutory rape or worse, whatever mm -hmm, it was, mm -hmm. whatever it was. I just want to address that just a little bit because I'm a super sensitive person. I, I mean, I, I'm very sensitive, but for some reason, it's a blessing from God, I swear it is. I don't get in a tizzy or take too much offense when people start to talk about, um, you know, being the product of rape. Mm -hmm. Because I always knew there was a possibility of it, but I didn't believe it. I thought it was this uncle. I wanted to believe it. And it, I think that's easy to see that Gosh, it would have been nice to have been loved and wanted, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I wasn't. I am the product of a rape. I just want to ask people listening to this to be careful because it comes from people in our own community as much as it does from people who aren't part of our community. If people say, well, it, if you know, you weren't the product of a rape or at least you're not a product of a rape. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not a product. I'm a human. I'm a person. Right. And hmm. I am I, I, careful with my heart to not let that get to me. But I hear it said a lot. And folks need to watch their, their words because it's, uh, it's, it's really not right. And it, it's not the child's fault. It's not the child's fault. And I think... And you tell me if you're, if I'm wrong, but like what I understand you're saying is that people um, in the, in the groups use it as if it's um, to be, to, to be one, the product of a rape, not the human of a rape, but also might just be the worst thing or it is right. so bad. And it means right. a lot of different things to different people. Right. That's right. And that's not a fair assumption to make. It's not. And a not a fair generalization to make that mm -hmm. um, to be the human result of this, of rape, mm -hmm. um, may, may not be the worst thing in the whole world. It doesn't mean anything about who you are as a person right. or, or what your life was like or who, 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 you know, what kind of soul you've got. 
Yeah, and a lot of a lot of people have just never thought of that. And believe me, I've struggled with that um, with that concept throughout my adult life. Um, but it, you know, you just have to remember it's a person behind it, and it's you know. And I think there are a lot of people finding out these days that they were adopted or their identity was hidden in some way, their, their father's identity or whatever, because of that. And it's, uh, I don't know, I just, I just want to say it as a reminder because I hear it in our own community and it's, it's offensive. Mm-hmm. No, so, thank you for bringing that up. That, that just being said. Um, but anyway, um, the oldest sister I still have not met. Uh, my husband and I went back uh, to visit a couple of months ago. I think it was in April. And that was a really fun visit. Um, I will say that the first time that I went at the meeting where the pool party and I met all those relatives, at first it was really, really wonderful. And then it turned very sour by the end of the evening. Mm. Um, my birth father at that point had been dead for 38 years. And I'm like, he's gone, he's dead. It doesn't matter what he did. I'm here. I really wanted to meet you. I don't want anything from you. I wanted to see your face. I wanted to know something about my birth family. I'm not a happy family. I have a wonderful husband and daughter in life. And if I have extra, that's great. And if I don't, I'm okay where I am. I was as careful as I could be before I went there. At first, they were so, bring her out here. We've got to meet her. We've got, we want to say this. We want to see we, you know, all those things. But by mm -hmm. the end of the evening, it was twisting and turning things about my mother and my grandparents. And I said, you know, I don't know the whole story. And 38 years later, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's about me meeting you and us building a relationship or not. Right. It doesn't matter what he did or didn't do, was accused of either falsely or fairly, doesn't matter. Not everybody, but it turned south as quickly as, as it as quickly as it was good, it was bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that, that was rough. But That's I, hard, yeah. And, you know, I just say, take the good parts and the bad parts, just kind of walk away from it best you're able to and and continue on with the life that you were building anyway right take what you want and leave the rest there's still at least like, one you know. yeah there's still at least one sibling i found out that um he had at least one other young woman pregnant this one is in north carolina we have no information to be able to find her i have a first name that's a possibility but you know they think she's younger than me so she would be in her early 50s. And um, we're not sure if the name that somebody remembers was the child's name or the mother's name. We're not sure. And until somebody in that family takes an ancestry test, you just have to wait. Mm -hmm. But there's at least one more. Wow. I know. <laughs> it's productive. Mm -hmm. We've um I've, uh, I talked about this on a, a few episodes, but there's this, this idea that we're the, 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 the children of scoundrels mm -hmm. comes up again and again, <laughs> and it's not for, it's not everybody, but, uh, mm -hmm. as soon as you said that word, I, I felt mm -hmm. a kinship 
and, and on the one hand, I don't, on the one hand, I don't love the idea of, of a, of a lineage that follows a pipeline, but <laughs> at the other, on the other hand, that, that is something we haven't had yet. And that's really interesting. Um, it probably was happening all over the place. I, yeah. I had company and yeah, there was probably a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of it. Yeah. Yep. yep. I imagine there was, mm -hmm. um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about families being trusting and also a sort of a, a, a whole society that won't, that doesn't talk about some things or doesn't fathom some things and, just yeah it's just sort of sort of a recipe for disaster i'll tell you Eve, one of the hardest things for me to accept i can't say that i've accepted it yet but that first weekend that i was there um that july two years ago mm -hmm. uh, you know I was, I was taken to the cemetery where my birth father is buried next to his mother and father and I knew I was going to go there and I had looked at, you know, the gravesite online and that was outrageously emotional. And I, I, I nearly passed out. It was so hard and I'm, I'm not wow. a sure. I've had to take a lot in my life and I feel like I can take a lot, but that I got lost it. And part of what it was, was not just the realization of, um, he was under the ground and just that idea. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that I had this concept where it came from. I don't know. I, my husband accuses me of being a Pollyanna. Like you think everybody has a little picket fence, little white picket fence and everybody has this perfect little life. And I know better. Of course I do, but I want that for everybody, even though I don't have it in my own life. When I found out that my paternal grandparents not only knew that I existed, but solidly hid it away, paid for it to go away, kept it a secret. And then I, I had to look at stacks of photos and hear all the stories about what a loving grandmother she was. She mm. would never have turned away one of her own. She would have adored you. Um, no, because she didn't. And it was, uh, I was, was raised by my maternal grandmother. Uh, you know, my childhood was very messy, as you can imagine. My mother had me sometimes, didn't have me, mm -hmm. would disappear, move away in and out of relationships with lots of different men, lots of situations. And my, my grandparents on my mother's side raised me. And I, I had a very difficult time accepting that my grandparents who had a large family they were clearly close clearly involved with their children and their grandchildren rejected me and never sought me out ever you know you I can understand it from the father he showed his character early on I, I've had a much harder time accepting it from uh, the grandparents who are deceased mm -hmm. it doesn't matter it, it generally right. doesn't matter but that that's been a hard pill to swallow hmm. but um so you know if, if somebody's listening and contemplating meeting people you just it, it's just something you should think through and 
know where you stand and how you feel about it before you pursue it because it can trip you up. And I, I think we think a lot about our parents, birth parents and siblings, but you know, there, there's a few other aspects that I would advise people to consider along the way. Absolutely. I think in my, my experience and, and then and then what I've sort of gathered just from listening to everybody's stories is that there's just no telling or no knowing what element of your story or of this experience is going to be the thing that, that rocks your world or That's like right. turns you upside down. Like you think you've thought it through and you think you understand everything. And then, and, and then just, just a, a variable comes in that you just didn't see coming. And everyone's got one. Everyone's got even, you know, even people with very organized NPE stories. Um, yeah, something, something comes in somewhere in there that, that pokes at a, I don't know if like, it sounds like for you, like at this idea of what if, and you know, to have this, yeah. but, but it's something for everybody. There's no true way to prepare for it, but at least center yourself that you know who you are, where you are, where you stand, and don't let the past rock that. You just can't let the past If you can be there and focus on, you know, your parents did what they did and things happen as they happen. You can't change it, but you, you, you can focus on who you are, the person you are, the people that you love. Yeah break the chain right who you are now mm -hmm. and I know that you're a counselor and um, I know that there's a, a movement for counselors to have training in this area it's definitely needed um, but it, it's it's really strange how reading and listening to other people's similar stories does help it, it, it's kind of um, cathartic sometimes how it how it helps yeah I keep saying this but just the power of learning that you're not alone um has mm -hmm. been I think remarkably healing for other people and it's been it's been helpful for me when I do the podcast with people like I'm not I'm not I'm not doing it as I don't really feel like I'm doing it very much from a place of my own NPE story, although that's present. And I'm not really doing it very much as a therapist because this is not therapy. Um, but both, but either way, whenever I'm done with these um, conversations with people, I feel, I totally feel sort of like fulfilled and alive and calm, calmed and a part mm -hmm. of something in a way that, that I'm not otherwise. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I get the feeling other people are get, are get that too from listening. I just always felt like I was so different from anybody and it was really bad. Mm. Therefore, I probably was really bad. And there's so many people who are the same, different yeah. ways they got there, but it's, mm -hmm. it's not, yeah. I don't know what you are all thinking about right now, listeners. Um, but let me just tell you that Abby's story blew me away, not only with its unique elements um, and the way it was original, but also with the realization that her story is likely not that unique um, when it comes to especially these like small or big historical infrastructure 
movements. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, like building pipelines, um, something that, that took, took people, lots of men from one location to another. Um, I hope, I hope that if you haven't listened to Laura's story yet, which I posted a few weeks ago, um, June 25th, hers went up June 25th. I hope that you go listen to it now because in that episode, she and I talk in depth about what happens to the development of a person, like what, where, what happens in your brain um, when you experience trauma at a young age. And Laura's mom, in the context of that episode, she was 14 when she became pregnant. And today, Abby told us that her mom was 13, 13 years old. I have a teenage daughter. I was a teenage girl myself once. Um, maybe for this episode, actually, I will find a picture of myself at 13 and just spend some time thinking about what life would be like if if that girl got pregnant by an adult married man. Because right now, when I try and, and think about it, I can't do it. My brain just stops. It just goes blank. Um, it all just stays sort of abstract ideas. I took pages of uh, I took pages of notes while talking with Abby, and I'm looking at them now, and it's just isolated words that I scribbled on paper as her you know story unfolded for us. And I look at them now without drawing any conclusions. I don't I don't really have a way to wrap this up except to say that like each word I wrote is like a separate part or a separate like wheel or gear you know, working it in my brain to, to make sense of, of the world we live in and the people in it. I have words written down like rape, pipeliners, trust, married, birth, lifetime, obsession, kismet, isolation. I said when I started this podcast that I wanted to talk about the truth, even when that meant or means, you know what, maybe even especially when that means talking about hard things. And I am really sure that we need to talk about all these hard, uncomfortable things in order to change the patterns of our society, of our world, of our life, of our neighborhoods, of our men, of our women, of our children moving forward. So I just want to thank Abby for being able to, uh, I'm just, I want to thank Abby for being available today at a stoplight where she checked her Instagram to send me a message and say that she could tell her story today. And I'm just so grateful. Everybody, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is that there is a new episode coming next week of Everything's Relative. The bad news is, if you wanted a relief from all this heavy stuff, it's not coming next week. Uh, not yet. And I promise you, I did not plan this. I did not plan for um, for this summer to be about to be about the hard stuff. But maybe that's a lesson for me to be careful about what you wish for. But on the other hand, I hope you're not only thinking about the heavy issues. I hope you're also hearing the humanity in our conversations and laughing with us when we find reasons to smile. The NPE community has all of it. And hey, 
would you please keep in touch with us all? Uh, wait, oop. Keep in touch. And hey, keep in touch with us all week by doing all the things you're supposed to do. You guys know the drill. Follow us on Instagram. Join our Patreon. Find us on Facebook. Share this podcast with everyone you know. You can contact me about anything and everything, including questions, concerns, or stories of your own. My email is eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com. Have a nice week, everyone. Stay cool in this sweltering summer heat. Don't play with matches. Wear your mask. Get vaccinated. And don't forget to hydrate. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kayla Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve is a licensed therapist in the state of California, but conversations on this podcast are not therapy sessions. This podcast is edited by Stephanie Delonzik, the logo design is by Ivy McNally, and the music is used with permission by Goodbye the Band. Hey you, that's right. The listeners of Everything's Relative with Eve Sturges. Are you ready for a promo? Let's do yoga. Let's get fit. Hi, I'm Nick. And Let's, I'm Uriel. And we're the hosts of Hella in Your Thirties. This is a podcast for people of all ages, all about navigating this dystopian world we live in <laughs> that's right so every monday we invite you into our living room or out into the world on whatever adventures we go on or into our living room for an adventure in our living room <laughs> yeah like having your wife challenge you to a great british baking show style competition in your own kitchen that's right or maybe you know you want to know what it's like to volunteer at a food bank or maybe uh, well you know you want to hear what it's like to foster kittens in the midst of a pandemic that's right super easy but giving cats medication is literally the worst thing in the world <laughs> okay anyways if you want to hang out with us find us every monday hella in your 30s wherever you get your podcast Bye. tomorrow's a new day let's order pizza